2: Hi, audience, it's your Ate Sapphire. Today's episode is a little out of this world. These are tales of close encounters with mysterious beings. First, we'll hear a true account from a firefighter who may have run into the men in black. Then, we'll witness an unexplainable green light, meet some strangers at a beach, and explore an abandoned cabin in the forest. I receive hundreds of amazing story submissions every single week. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. And if you'd like to learn more about how you can join our VIP program, head to patreon.com slash snarled. So, wanna hear something scary? Our first story is a true experience that McCall in Montana had. I made an animated version of this story over at youtube.com/snarled if you look up The Men in Black. It was the winter of 2013. McCall had just finished his first year of wildland firefighting, and to celebrate, he and his friend Colby went to his cabin, far off in the woods and mountains of Montana. McCall also bought himself a .44 Magnum revolver, which he brought along with him. McCall and Colby spent the day gathering wood, and once it got dark out, they burned the wood in the fire pit in front of the cabin. They were playing music through a Bluetooth speaker, sipping beers, and hanging out. About five minutes had passed, When McCall heard a sound coming from behind the cabin, they both paused. It was probably just the wind or something. McCall threw another log onto the fire and they continued talking. A few minutes later, they heard it again. Did you hear that? Yeah, it's probably just some cattle or something. Cattle don't make noise like that. They tried to think of what could possibly be the source of this strange, almost rhythmic sound. Maybe it was the trees freezing? But it wasn't cold enough for that. The nearest neighbor wasn't for a few miles. Was someone messing with them? Hey, who's there? McCall tried to sound as intimidating as possible despite being scared shitless. If you don't stop, I'm gonna shoot. They waited. McCall shot his gun at a nearby tree as a warning. When the ringing in their ears began to fade, they heard a low, deep, guttural growl. McCall knows what all the animals on Montana sound like. Cougars, moose, black bears, badgers, coyotes, wolves. But this? He had never heard a growl like this before. And it sounded like a A warning. warning. McCall and Colby ran inside the cabin, locked the doors, and closed the blinds. The following morning, they walked outside to where the sounds came from to see if they could find any tracks, something to give them an idea of what was there. But the fresh fallen layer of snow had covered any evidence. The following summer, McCall and Kobe returned to the cabin. McCall's uncle had recently passed away and a mountain retreat was just what he needed. At this point, they had completely forgotten about the strange sounds last winter. They arrived at the cabin early in the morning and spent the day gathering firewood. Once it got dark, they decided to stop and go inside for a break. McCall made a large pot of coffee to stay awake as they planned on staying up later to make a bonfire. The living room of the cabin had a couch that faced the front door. Next to the door was a large window with the curtains pulled back. It was completely pitch black outside. McCall and Colby were relaxing on the couch, sipping their mugs, when suddenly flash of light appeared outside. Moments later, another flash. And another. With every flash, McCall heard what sounded like the shutter of a camera. Like someone was taking photos. McCall turned to Kobe. Do you see that? The look on his face was enough of an answer. The flashing lights continued for ten more minutes. And then silence. They heard footsteps. Soft, slow, dragging along the ground. Someone was outside of the the cabin. cabin. They were miles away from anyone else. Somebody had traveled a very long way to get to them. McCall and Colby grabbed their rifles and followed the sound as it made its way to the front door. It stopped. Despite having just drank two cups of coffee, McCall began to feel tired, heavy, It was like someone had just switched his brain to slow motion. He could faintly hear Colby say, I think think they're they're putting putting something something in the air." air. McCall? McCall, wake up. It was morning. McCall was on the floor next to his bed. How did I get here? I don't know, but I woke up in the middle of the hallway. Do you remember what happened last night? I remember the footsteps at the door, and then I think we both passed out. But check this out. They walked downstairs to the living room. Colby pointed towards the front door. Both their rifles leaned neatly against the door right where they aimed them last night. Did you put those there? No. Did somebody enter their house? And were they still still there? When they left later that day, there was a black Dodge Ram with tinted windows parked on the mountain, about a mile away from McCall's cabin. It probably wouldn't have caught McCall's eye, if he hadn't known so much about the men in black. Since about half a century ago, people who had witnessed UFOs or other unexplained phenomena also claimed to be visited by mysterious men in black suits and ties. Usually these men threaten the witness to never speak of what they saw. These are the men in black, an organization whose job is to keep us from knowing what's really out there. Did McCall and Colby unknowingly witness something they weren't supposed to? And did the men in black pay a visit to make sure they wouldn't tell anyone? Unfortunately, there's no way to find out for sure. But if this video suddenly disappears with no explanation, I'll let you decide why. This is probably one of my favorite stories that I've ever told. Uh, I think there's just something about hearing a story like this from someone like a firefighter that it just makes me more inclined to believe them. Like I, I feel like they're very level-headed people and they wouldn't just tell these types of stories for the, you know, sake of it. I don't know. I mean, something was definitely there that night and I have no idea if he'll ever find out what it was.
3: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot
2: This next chapter is based on true events that happened to Kana. Look, this isn't a particularly extraordinary story. No crazy twists or spirits. But to me, that's what makes it incredibly disturbing. How simple it is. It's just one of those things where you had to be there, you know? And luckily I had my best friend with me, and she can vouch that everything I'm about to tell you really happened. Let me tell you about the night we saw the green light. It was 2002. My best friend Cole and I were both fourteen years old, and we lived in a very small town in Pennsylvania. We had been friends since we were eight. We connected over our dark senses of humor and our wannabe punk lifestyle. One of our favorite things to do was sneak out around 11 p.m. to midnight after my mom had gone to sleep and just walk around town looking for bats, talking, enjoying the night air. We usually made it back by 1 a.m. when my older brothers would come home from closing the McDonald's they worked at. They would bring us chicken nuggets and cookies that were meant to go in the trash at the end of the night. The green light showed up on an ordinary night just like any other. We were laying on the ledge in my room on the second floor, right by my giant window overlooking the neighborhood. The curtains were drawn and we cozied up in blankets and pillows, just talking in the dark quiet of my living room. It came without sound or warning. My entire house lit up a bright Kelly green. Cole and I sat up simultaneously. The strength of the beam was coming through the window, through the curtains, and so strong I could see every detail of my room clear as day, all the way down the hall. But just as quickly as it came, it was gone, and we were again in the dark. Did you see that? I timidly asked Cole. Of course I saw it, she said. Cautiously, I pulled back the curtain and we peeked through, not sure what we would see. Nothing. The street was empty. The sky was empty. The only light was the faint orange tinge from the streetlight on the corner. What the hell was that? I asked her breathlessly. Then it came again. It hit us in the face like a gust of wind, the bright Kelly green light. We focused our eyes. It's not coming from the sky like an airplane or spaceship, Cole said. I looked up. She was right. The sky was black and gray with clouds, only pinholes of white stars in places that were not covered. It looks like it's coming from the field where the old railroad tracks are behind Katie's old house, I said. That was two streets and three rows of houses over. It was low to the ground and ate around the houses like they weren't even there. Three houses worth of shadow didn't dim the light even a little bit. I thought of what was over there, a big open field, a small creek with a bit of woods, overgrown railroad tracks, an abandoned factory with a big back parking lot that was all chained off and the overpass to the highway. Darkness again. The light was gone. Why is no one else coming outside to see what's going on? I looked at the clock. 2.14 a.m. It felt like it had only been a minute or two between flashes and they lasted for much less than that. What could be over there making such a bright light? There was a university nearby and sometimes their stadium lights would glow brightly but those were usually white. Sometimes their spotlights would make colored beams toward the sky, but it was far too late at night for that. From the silence, Cole answered me as if she read my mind. It's aliens. We looked at each other and giggled, but nervously. I wondered for a moment if it was going to happen again, as the darkness seemed to be lasting much longer now. We both stared out into the dark street, tense and breathing slowly as if we might hear the light coming this time. My eyes were darting around and up toward the highway, searching for anything out of the ordinary and hoping someone would have woken up and wandered out to investigate. We should go look, she said. Her voice sounded weird. Not excited how it normally was when she wanted to go on some adventure or exploration, but kind of creepy. My heart stopped. I looked at her, but she did not look at me. Her eyes were set, fixed to that place on the horizon where we saw the light originate. How long had she been staring in that one place like that? I wondered. No way, I said. Are you crazy? Her eyes were so far away. Then her face lit up green. There it was again. I looked out, same point on the horizon, low to the ground, so bright neither houses nor trees could stop its path. I couldn't hear the highway. I could always hear the highway. I couldn't hear anything except my own breath and my own heart. Cole was still frozen, looking out when her face went dark again. We should go look, she said again, calmly, This time, her voice was further away, just like her eyes. I started to panic inside. If you want to go, you are going by yourself, I nearly shouted at her. I immediately regretted saying it as if I felt her weight shift. She stood up and walked toward the window and opened it. I began to panic. I felt tears in my eyes and my stomach turned. I reached out to grab her wrist and I held on tight. What are you doing? I yelled at her. I looked at the clock. 2.14. How can it still be the same time? Did the clock stop? The panic and the darkness held for a long time this time. It felt like five minutes or more. My grip on my unmoving friend began to turn my knuckles white. Why was she still staring like this? Why was she so rigid? I watched her eyes set out to the dark horizon. She placed a foot on the windowsill. Cole, what are you doing? Please come down now. We should go. I'm not scared. But Cole, I am. I'm horrified. Please come down. I pleaded with her. It was a far drop from my room to the concrete driveway below. She continued to stare outward. I let go just enough to put my hand in hers, and her face turned to look at me. It was the same girl I always knew. It was still my friend. The warmth returned to her eyes and I felt relief flood back into me. The lights must be gone. She is back here with me. I felt like crying as I looked into her beautiful brown eyes that I felt were present again. Then her face lit up green. I could feel her struggle on the thin line between the hypnotic trance the light cast and staying in my room. I could feel it this time. It called to her much more than just her sense of curiosity and adventure. It wanted us to come find it. The more I kept my eyes open, the more I felt what she felt. The draw of the light. Her eyes shifted to the window and back at me several times. It would be so easy to close my eyes, but with weak hands, the light between us, our faces reflected. It felt like our unbroken gaze was the only thing keeping us in that room. I swore this was the longest time the light had lasted. Where the hell were all the people? How was no one noticing this? Why was no one stopping it? I could feel my grip getting weaker. Whatever the light was, it could not last forever. And when Cole's face went dark again, she was still with me, and we were both more exhausted than we had ever been. Wow, she said, her eyes finally drooping shut and both of us sitting down from kneeling at the window. I'm so tired. My head was spinning. It feels like it's been an hour, I said, as I tried to get my eyes to focus on the pale face of the clock on the wall. It was 2.15 a.m. Impossible. But now I was too tired to even be shocked. My muscles unclenched as we both lay down. My limbs and head were heavy, but more than just tired. There was a resistance with the heaviness, like trying to walk out of the ocean waves after swimming for a long time. My head was spinning, and I could still see the green glow behind my eyelids as I closed them. The time hasn't changed, I yawned. The last thing I heard her say before we fell asleep was, I know. We are 29 years old now with our own families, homes, and busy lives, but I still see her all the time, our friendship unchanged. I was sitting in her kitchen just the other day when I thought to ask her about the event. She remembered it every bit as well as I did. Has your adult brain rationalized a reasonable explanation for what that was that night? I asked. No, she said simply. There were never any reports, no news articles, or people talking about it afterwards, was there? I I never heard anything. But it's too bad we chickened out. In comic books, it's always the green glowing shit that gives you superpowers. We probably could have been superheroes. We laughed. Or we could have been abducted, I told her, voicing the true fear I had of that night for the first time. What were you feeling that night anyway? I was so scared. For just a moment, her face got very serious and very distant again. I just wanted to go to the light, she said, without any inflection or tone. She sat silent and icy for a moment before adding, I'm glad you were there. Honestly, I don't know what would have happened if you weren't. So if the light ever comes back again, when we're a bit older and lived our lives, next time we'll follow it, okay? She laughed in a witchy cackle that only she can and widened her eyes at me. Next time, we are definitely following it. Thank you so much, Kana, for sharing that story with us. And you were right. Uh, The simplicity of this story is actually what makes it scary you know it's to this day you still don't know what it was that you saw or why your friend Cole felt compelled to go over to it but uh so if any of the listeners right now have any theories on what that light is or if you've seen anything similar to it send me an email
1: you can live out your master chef
2: This next story, sent in by Josephine, is also about a narrowly avoided abduction. Dear Sapphire, my name is Josephine, and while this story is not incredibly supernatural, it is definitely scary to me. I was six or seven years old at the time. My family and I had taken a trip to Bonnie Hills to visit my godfather, It was the death anniversary of his wife, my godmother. We decided to spend the afternoon at the beach there. I loved to wander around the rock pools and collect shells and fun stones, but this time I wandered a bit too far. The rock pools rose up to three peaks along the shore and I went towards the currents found in the valley of them where my family couldn't see me. I found a stick that reminded me of a wand. I was in love with Harry Potter at the time and started humming the theme tune and waving the stick around like I was casting spells. I was interrupted by a couple covered head to toe in layers of winter clothes. Pretty odd for such a sunny day. That's a pretty song, one of them said, their voice muffled by the scarf around their face. That's from Harry Potter, right? Yep, I answered. I continued to play. Harry Potter is really neat, huh? The stranger asked. What's your favorite part? All of it, I exclaimed enthusiastically. But I really like the moving portraits. They're so cool. The two strangers turned their heads to each other like they were amazed of what I had just said. What a coincidence. That's our favorite part too. Did you know that moving portraits actually exist? No, they don't, I argued. The two adults chuckled. Yes, they do. And we have some in our home. Do you want to see them? My eyes widened with excitement. Wow, really? Okay, right now? Not right now, but first thing in the morning, before your parents wake up. Don't tell them, okay? You don't want them to be jealous. I nodded my head. They pointed to a house about a block away from where we were. See that house with the flag above the door? That's ours. Come over at 6 a.m. and we'll show you the portrait. And then they walked away. I kept my promise and didn't mention what just happened to my parents. I knew that we were leaving at 10 a.m. the next morning, so as long as I was back before then, my mom wouldn't get mad. That night, I packed my small pink handbag and lay out my clothes for the next day. I placed two fresh new batteries into my Beauty and the Beast alarm clock and went to bed. You wouldn't believe my disappointment when my mom woke me up at 9.45 a.m. Apparently, my alarm had run out of battery in the night, and having slept in, we only had 15 minutes to pack our stuff and head home. I began to cry, and my mom asked me why I was so upset. I wasn't supposed to tell you, but these grown-ups said they had moving portraits like in Harry Potter, and they were going to show me this morning, but I slept in. My mom's face began to wrinkle, and I thought she was going to be mad at me for not inviting her. First of all, Josie, we have moving portraits too. It's called a TV. She let out a laugh, but it felt kind of forced. And you're not going over there. Now finish packing. I sadly and quietly began to gather my things when my mom came back in the room. Where do these people say they lived? She asked. Right by the beach. After we piled into the car, I heard my mom ask my dad if we could make a quick stop before we headed home. We were heading in the direction of that couple's house and I was so happy. I was going to see the portraits. But as we approached the house, we saw dozens of squad cars pulled up onto the lawn. Their lights were still flashing. On the lawn were two panicked, crying children wrapped in towels, being comforted by the officers. They looked the same age as me. I remember being jealous that they got to see the portraits as my parents silently drove away. When we got home, my parents sat me down and gave me the stranger danger talk. It wasn't until I was older that I realized how lucky I was. I think someone was looking down on me that day and protecting me because I definitely put fresh batteries in that alarm clock. A very special thank you to Josephine for sending that story in. I know that it's not a particularly scary one. I mean, it is if you are a parent. Um, but every now and then I do like to throw in a story that's more real world horror and not necessarily supernatural because there are plenty of things to fear in our real world. and now we've come to our final story this was submitted by B in scotland the house we lived in was built near a forest that surrounded a big lake we loved getting on our bikes to visit the forest where we would bring bread to feed the ducks we always stayed near the lake never beyond it to be honest i felt too scared to go and visit the other parts of the forest Perhaps as a child, I was too scared of getting lost. The place was just so big and thick with trees. I had no idea what would be beyond it. I always wanted to explore over there though, but my parents never allowed me to go on my own, not even with a few friends. I had to stick with them always and never go beyond the area we usually went. At first, I thought it was just them being afraid of me getting abducted or something, but as I got older, I saw all my friends visit the deeper parts of the forest without adult supervision, so why couldn't I? When I was about 12, I started losing interest in going to the forest. We were always visiting the same exact places, so I found it a bit boring after a while. I preferred staying indoors playing games on the computer. I had a friend named Jamie, who was the complete opposite of me, however. His family was extremely active and they would visit the forest every day to go for long walks. It made him a person who would take a lot of risks. We often saw him climb extremely tall trees where he'd be at the very top waving down at us. I was absolutely terrified for him. We were both 12 years old. My parents were out working one day, so they took me to Jamie's house where we could hang out for a bit with his younger sister, Allie. He was bored, as he usually got while indoors, so he decided to ask, Hey, how about we go outside? I want to show you guys something. I gave him a slightly concerned look. Where are we going? A place in the forest that my friends visited once. Some abandoned haunted cabin. I frowned. I didn't like where this was going. I had always been interested in haunted places, but I never actually wanted to visit one. Um, I don't know. I'm not supposed to go. What? Are you scared? I paused. I knew if I admitted I was scared, Jamie would be nonstop teasing me for the rest of the day. So to avoid the embarrassment, I said, Fine, I'll go. But can we at least bring your sister? I don't want your mom telling us off for leaving her here. Jamie agreed, and we set off to find this supposed haunted cabin. I was paranoid for the entire trip. Jamie made it even worse when he kept telling me about how spooky the cabin was and how his friends saw ghosts there. I knew he was just making it up, but it didn't stop me from checking behind my back once in a while. It made me feel nauseous, not knowing what could be out there. We finally arrived at the cabin. It looked like the standard cabin, except bits of wood were rotting off it, and it seemed no one had been there in a really long time. It was completely covered in trees, so it would have been really hard to spot if my friends didn't know exactly where it was. I felt nervous, but I reminded myself that it was broad daylight and that I was with friends, not to mention the size of the cabin seemed small. What was the worst that could happen? We went up the rotting wooden stairs. I nearly slipped on one of the steps as it had been raining the day before and it made the whole thing difficult to walk on. Despite the dangers, my friend and his sister were excitedly exploring the place. But it didn't seem too exciting to me. The place had holes in the walls and plants were starting to seep through and overgrow the place. I didn't expect to find anything interesting at all until Allie yelled out, I found something. Look! Jamie and I went over to her and peered from behind her shoulders. In her hands, she held an antique photograph. The photo had pretty little patterns carved into its gold frame, and it was decorated with pearls and gems of all kinds. It looked extremely expensive, and also very old. In the photo, there was a man, a woman, and their black-as-night dog sitting in the middle, They all seemed really happy. Whoa, this could be worth a fortune. We should bring it back to mom and sell it, Jamie exclaimed. I scrunched my face up. This photo belonged to someone. We can't just sell it for money. What if they're still out there wondering where their photo could be? Jamie let out a laugh. Come on, B. This place has probably been abandoned for decades and therefore so has this photo. I'm sure whoever last owned it is long gone. He started heading for the door, dragging his sister along with him. I quickly followed behind. Still, it's disrespectful to sell something that was probably really precious to someone. Just as I said that, Allie slipped on one of the stairs and fell onto the forest floor. The photo flew out of her hands and onto the ground, shattering in the process. She picked herself up and Jamie went over to see if she was all right. But my focus was on the photo. Oh, come on, guys. Look what you did. I jumped the rest of the stairs down and ran towards it. The glass had been completely shattered, and the beautiful frame was now covered in mud. As I picked it up, the photo fell out of the frame. I looked at it again. Both the man's and the woman's eyes were now black and hollow. They were showing faces of disgust towards me. I was frozen in place. I didn't stop staring at the changed photo until I realized something. The dog that was once in the photo was now gone. Just then thunder shook the cabin and the sky suddenly turned dark, completely covered in clouds and blocking any trace of sunlight. I could have sworn it was just clear moments ago. In the distance, I spot something. It looked like a dog. Except it wasn't the size of one. It was gigantic and wolf-like. It was mud green with shaggy fur and a long-coiled tail. And its eyes, they were glowing red in the dark. I was about to alarm my friends until that creature let out an ear-piercing howl. We all screamed and started to run back in horror, me dropping the frame in the process. Bullets of rain started to pierce down on us and it was difficult finding our way back. The longer we ran, the more the sound of the wind and the howling started hurting our ears. We were nearly back when we heard the dog start to bark. One bark, two barks. We were at Jamie's house and slammed the door shut before it could bark a third time. We all stopped to catch our breath. We made it. We were safe. None of us were harmed, but we were soaking wet from rainwater and were now covered in mud. Jamie's mom came in to see what all the commotion was about. What happened to you kids? Jamie and Allie, struck with fear, ran over to their mom and held on to her. I was still in shock about what we saw. Hey, guys, you're going to get mud on me. Mom. Mom. We saw something. I don't know what it was, but it was like a big dog and it howled and it barked and it chased us. Jamie sobbed. Okay, calm down. I think the storm's all getting to your heads. How about we all just sit by the TV and drink hot chocolate? I'll get you some dry clothes too. Despite our numerous attempts of explaining what happened back there, Jamie's mom brushed it off, saying we probably just heard a dog since a lot of them get walked there. We all knew what we saw that day, though. Later, when my parents picked me up, I immediately went on the computer to research anything about that cabin, the man and the woman and that dog. I didn't find anything about the first two, but I did find something about the dog. In Scottish folklore, they believed in something called the fairy dogs, dogs that were considered an omen of death. It was told that the dog will let out one bark as a warning, the second bark as a threat, and the third bark right before it abducts you. We were so close that night. However, that didn't stop the fairy dog from following us. Soon after the incident, a relative in both our families suddenly passed away. Then that left one question in my mind, what did that man and woman have to do with it? Was the dog guarding their cabin? Or perhaps their spirits were trapped inside that photo frame. And now that it's broken, we had just let them out. If you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscary@snarls.com. Don't forget to watch the video version of Something Scary over at youtube.com/snarled. And if you'd like to join our Patreon, visit patreon.com/snarled. Until next time, sweet dreams.
1: You can live out your MasterChef dream.